electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And we'll pick it up with the sell-off. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm Melissa Lee. And for Kelly Evans today, the Fed Chair Powell tanking the markets. He's telling Congress it is time to stop saying inflation is transitory. And he says the Fed might taper more quickly than we had thought. Omicron worries also adding to the losses. Let's get straight to Dom Chu for a look at all the damage that we're seeing today. Dom. So the damage right now is session lows as you're seeing this right now. Melissa, if you take a look at the Dow, we're off 630 points, roughly thereabouts. That's one and three quarters percent of the downside. The S&P 500, 45.77 the last trade there, off about one and two thirds percent as well. And the Nasdaq composite keeping pace with the rest of the overall sell-off down 271 points, 15,511 the last trade there. So yes, this is the session low right now. All all 11 sectors in the S&P are lower on the day. Financials are very much in focus, along with interest rates, given that Fed testimony, along with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen before the Senate Banking Committee. Right now, I want to highlight the difference between long-term Treasury yields, 10-year note yields, and two-year note yields, one aspect of the yield curve. That's 92 basis points. Why that's important is that represents right now the lowest levels going all the way back to January of this year. So, The yield curve is now compressing. That's putting pressure on some bank stocks. It's certainly something to keep an eye on. And speaking of, if you take a look at some of the individual movers in trading today, those financials very much under pressure, regional banks specifically, Silicon Valley Bank or SVB Financial, the parent company there, down nearly 4%. Comerica Bank down nearly 3%. M&T Bank down 3%. Truist Financial down 2.5%. And the Spider Regional Bank ETF, ticker KRE, is down about 2.5% as well. So watch those financials with interest rates. As for what's working and what's not, a lot of things are not working. Not COVID-related, everything else. United Airlines and Norwegian Cruise Line, both reopening trades, both down big. You can see their travel-related stocks. Meanwhile, the ones that are supposed to do okay, the stay-at-home ones for fears of COVID, Peloton and Zoom Video, both down big. Peloton down 3.5% and Zoom Video off 4%. Maybe rising interest rates playing into the growth story there, so knocking some of those expectations down. And then Apple, Standing out, up 2% right now. Mega cap technology seems to be a place, at least with Apple's side of things, that people are flooding into right now in times of uncertainty. So, Melissa, a very interesting trade developing. Very tough spot for the Fed. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Don, thanks. Let's get back to the comments made on Capitol Hill that spooked the markets. Steve Leesman is here with what exactly sparked this sell-off. And, Steve, of course, we got the embargo testimony yesterday afternoon. We thought it was going to be hawkish. You correctly thought it was going to be hawkish. But it got even more hawkish today. You're right, uh, Melissa. Fed Chair Powell did surprise markets by saying he thinks the Fed ought to consider easing back more quickly on its stimulus to the economy. In response to your question on inflation, Powell saying in his Senate testimony for the first time that the Fed should consider accelerating its taper. At this point, the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high and, and it is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. And I expect that we will discuss that at at our upcoming meeting in a couple of weeks. 
All this began, as Melissa just said, with testimony released yesterday in which Powell emphasized his concerns about inflation and even said another virus wave could create an inflationary problem, not a demand problem, by making supply bottlenecks worse if workers stay home. Markets now have to puzzle over what an accelerated taper could look like. We put together this chart on four different scenarios here. Keeping with the same pace of tapering, the Fed would complete it, complete it more or less. We, there may be $5 billion left over the next month, but the last major purchase will be made in May. And then every $5 billion gets you done a month earlier to the point where if it doubled its, its, its pace of tapering, it could be done as soon as February. So what does that mean? A faster taper, of course, raises the possibility of quicker rate hikes, where the Fed said first it's going to taper, then it will hike rates. Now, to be sure, Powell said the Federal Market Committee would discuss a faster taper, not necessarily do it. And information on the Omicron virus over the next two weeks before the Fed meets could be critical, Melissa, in his decision. Seems like a genius move by the Federal Reserve Chairman, Steve. I mean, I would think they would want to say, uh, outline the most aggressive approach in terms of monetary policy at this point. And then you have the ability to say, you know what, the virus is taking us on a different path, so we're going to pull that back a little bit. But be on the record of saying and, and warning the markets that it's coming and it might be coming sooner than you think. I, I think that's one potential take, Melissa. I was surprised he said it. I thought before his testimony came out on Monday that the Fed would delay the decision or discussion of the accelerated taper to January, thinking they wouldn't have enough information on this. But this makes me think that the news has to be very bad on Omicron for the Federal Reserve not to accelerate this taper. I, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to sort of say, oh, this is like Delta, uh, and therefore we're, we're not going to talk about it. I think now the burden of proof is on the virus to say it's going to be really bad for aggregate demand. I think Powell's had a change of heart here to thinking that maybe Fed policy is 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 part of the problem when it comes to inflation and the Fed has to get ready or ready sooner to deal with it through rate hikes. And it's, it's an acknowledgement that the inflation problem is much worse than previously anticipated. I mean, to retire, to say that the word transitory was transitory in its use as a descriptor for inflation speaks volume, Steve, at this point. Yeah, you're right, Melissa. He retired the word transitory and he admitted the Fed made a mistake by not accurately uh, gaming out the supply problems. That was the problem they had. And and look, it's, it's also worth saying his base case still seems to be that inflation comes off and he used the word significantly last next year as the supply bottlenecks break through. But I think the concern is, and he talked about this, he used this phrase, this phrase entrenched, that he's worried that inflation could become entrenched. And that's what is really, I think, animating Fed Chair Powell. And indeed, yeah. I, I think it's going to animate the committee at this meeting in December. All right, Steve, thank you. Uh, race reacting sharply to Powell's hawkish turn. Let's get to Rick Santelli, who is at the CME, with more on this. Rick. Yeah, Melissa Lee, I agree with you. It was a brilliant move by the Fed chairman. And today is really like U-turn Tuesday. You'll see what I mean. Intra two-year. At 52 basis points, it's currently up three. Look at that U-turn it made. But not everything made a U-turn. The Fed chairman's opinion changed. U-turn. Short maturities U-turn. But look at the longest maturity, the 30-year bond. It's at 179, down seven basis points. What's going on? Well, I think the simple view is, is that short dated are clinging to the change of heart by the chairman and long dated are still nervous about Omicron and receiving some buying and flight to safety. If you look at the dollar index, it really wasn't involved in flight to safety, but it had a big U-turn. In my opinion, 
When you talk about actually combating inflation, that's a dollar friendly, along with the steepening yield curve. And finally, everybody's talking about Fed funds. Listen, there's a lot of ways to calculate probabilities. In the 80s, I used to get my crayons out and do the same thing. However, let's keep it really simple. This is December of 22 Fed fund contract. One week. You can see it made a bit of a U-turn as well. It's starting to sell off. When it goes down selling off, it raises probabilities. But if you look at a chart since the last Fed meeting, this is mid-August, we had a Fed meeting in September, you can see how it started accelerating the sell-off. That's when the notion hit everybody other than the chairman. Maybe inflation is real. And right now, the way it sits, it looks like two are baked in by the end of next year. And the third one, the market's working on. Melissa Lee, back to you. Rick Santelli, thank you. So is Powell right in suggesting that the taper may need to be sped up and we should retire the word transitory? Joining us now is David Zervos, Chief Market Strategist at Jefferies. David, great to have you with us. Good to be here, Melissa. Uh, has your view of the markets changed in light of what Chair Powell said today? Uh, I don't know that they've changed. I, I've been very concerned that the messaging from the Fed in this uh, new world order for the Fed with the new vice chairs, a new governor and two new presidents was going to get a little bit difficult and that uh, the Fed itself would have more trouble communicating in this environment where inflation is per more persistent and we have a new cast of characters that are leading, uh, leading the charge around the board table. So I, I think, and you add to that, Melissa, uh, a time of year where you know, you're either up a lot of money and you want to protect it or you're down a lot of money and you can't take a lot of risk. And we all saw the illiquidity Friday. And that's kind of a preview of what happens toward year ends. So we can get a lot of whippiness. But I think those three things, uh, a new Fed, uh, this is not the same Fed as we had before. We're going to get a whole new cast of characters and the market's got to understand where they're coming from. Uh, an inflation situation that does seem to have much more, in my opinion, supply side rigidities uh, than we may have thought earlier. And, uh, and and liquidity are all combining for something that could be quite a could be quite a bit of a fire, quite a bit of fireworks coming into the end. Uh, sounds like and you're then, expe expecting a lot of chop, David. And I mean, should we take Chair Powell's message today as the message of the Fed, given the new cast of characters? Or do you think that there's a little bit of um, possibility for wiggle room once everybody's in and at the table? You know, Melissa, I, I think the market's always going to sort of try to figure out where that strike is for the Fed put. We all talk about mm -hmm. that Fed put. When do they come in and save us when it's all messy? Is it down 5%? Is it down 10%? Is it down 15%? And one of the things we've sort of seen historically is when there's large changes at the Fed, a, a new chairman or a significant change at, at the top of the leadership, the market kind of pushes around and tries to find out where that where that put is. It feels uh, like we're, we're sort of beginning to do that a little bit. I don't think this is as big a deal as getting a new chair, but uh, I do think it's a, it's a pretty big deal and have thought it's going to be a pretty big deal uh, as we lost Randy Quarles, as we lost Rich Clarita, as we lost the two presidents from Dallas and Boston, and as the, uh, the upcoming governor seat gets filled. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting and I would venture to say difficult uh -huh. communication set of issues for uh, communication issues for uh, for this Federal Reserve. Sounds like a and lot for the of, market. Yeah, sounds like a lot of volatility to me. Um, David, when you we're taking a look down the barrel, basically, we're staring down the barrel of a world in which the markets will have to stand by itself, so to speak, without as much help from the Fed, whether it be from taper or from very low interest rates. And I'm wondering, in that kind of world, what devaluations, what should valuations look like? 
How much in the market right now is because of the very easy money policy? And how much should we expect to ratchet that back? You know, I, I think you got to put it in perspective a little bit, Melissa. We've had a pretty amazing year. I don't think that many people on Wall Street were forecasting up 20 or up 23% for the year in the S&P back on January 1, which is where we were. And we were up 27% for the year, uh, you know, a week or so ago. So uh, I, I think it's been a great year. I don't think, you know, there's a, there's a big desire to protect uh, that financial markets with such a big year. Uh, and I think that's a little bit of what you're seeing from the Fed. But, but again, I also, I also think as all of these folks go in front of Congress, which they will, both vice chairs and the chair will go in in front of Congress, and they'll get quizzed by lots of different people about their views on inflation, growth, jobs, everything else under the sun, climate change, inequality. It's just a lot of room for miscommunication. And look, a central banker does have a role in, in making sure that prices are stable. And right now, the advertisement for price stability doesn't look good, so they got to sound tough. And Jay sounded tough today, and I think he's sort of prepping for any hard questions that might come in front of his his hearing, and I think those hearings will probably be in December. So, you know, we had, you remember, Melissa, back in 2018, we had a lot of miscommunication from, from Jay in particular on being a long way from neutral, and we finally spun that back around in January of 19 and got some cuts, uh, and the Fed had gone too far, and the curve had inverted. Um, like, you know, not that it's inverting today, but there have been parts of the curve that were inverting not too long ago. And I think it's it, it's it's reminiscent of that. I think you're 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 seeing uh, the Fed kind of move into a bit of protection mode uh, with all the new cast of characters. And I think that's just a place where, as you put it, uh, uh, volatility could remain quite, quite significant. Uh, well, it could remain elevated. It, it I don't know that it's going to be. I don't want to you know, overblow it, though. Yeah, uh, it did feel like Powell was moving into protection mode when he took back the word transitory. I mean, he, he had some leeway to leave transitory sort of out there, especially when later on in the testimony he said that he expected inflationary pressures to ebb in the second half of next year. I mean, that wouldn't have been that long and could have easily been argued to be transitory. Um, so I'm wondering how you interpret that and whether or not you think inflation in, is really a much stickier problem than the Fed had anticipated. And that should really be the worry of the markets right now. Well, I think we know that, Melissa, because we know the dot plots. We know what they forecasted for the end of this year at the at the beginning of the year and at the end of last year. And they were, like almost everybody, just completely wrong. Uh, we have 6% CPI and 5% PCE, and that was not in the numbers. So clearly their version of transitory when they first started talking about it was, you know, a couple of quarters, maybe Q1 and Q2, and then it was all going to subside. And that's not really what's happened, especially after the last the last reading in particular. Um, Q2 looked like it might have been the peak, and Q3 was pretty weak on inflation, uh, all, all else equal. But we've had this this spike back up. So I think you have to kind of redefine transitory if you're the Fed. Now, not everybody has the same definition, and maybe yours or mine is different. But but theirs uh, was put in the books as what it was, and, and I think it needed to be redefined. And I think that was Raphael Bostic's point uh, when he gave his speech about you know having the word transitory be kind of a a sin at the Atlanta Fed, and you had to put a you know a penny in the square jar, or whatever. Every time you had to use it, it seems like Powell's taken that Raphael message to heart. And 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 I, and I again, I think I don't want to get too. I'm not too pessimistic here. Certainly, over the long run, your valuation question. I think we have low long term rates and low long term real rates in particular for quite a while. And I do think at the end we'll find that Jay's right. This inflation problem will ebb, and it'll be a supply story, not a demand story. But the Fed has to look tough in front of its boss, and that's Congress. 
And one of its mandates is inflation, and it ain't really working. So that's just going to set up a lot of room for miscommunication at a time when everyone is going to try to figure out who is Lael Brainerd, who's the vice chair for supervision, who's the new governor, who are the two new presidents, and how is Jay and his power base going to evolve with all of these new characters in play that we've gotten used to over the last four years. David, always great to get your thoughts, especially in a day like today. Thanks so much. David Zervos with Jeffries. Well, market selling off after Fed Chair Powell mentioned accelerating the taper in his testimony today. Our next guest says to expect the volatility to continue as investors adjust to a post-QE world and earnings growth once again becomes a driving force behind the markets. Joining us now is Chris Grisanti, MAI Capital Chief Equity Strategist. Chris, great to have you with us. Nice to be with you again, Melissa. I'll ask you the same question that I asked for David, and, and that is what should a market be valued at without free money, basically, without the Fed there? Uh, in support through taper and, and you know that's rates. a great question and, and the real answer is we're going to find out and it, i think pretty soon it was unfortunate today melissa i think that that he chose uh the omicron background to deliver a needed message which is hey uh the inflation is chugging along as is the economy so that that's not necessarily a terrible thing it means the economy's racing it means good things it's just that that plus Omicron at the wrong moment, uh, I, I think is really uh, giving the market a, a little uh, concern. I, I, however, having said that, I, I think uh, higher rates will mean that PEs come down. The question, though, for the market is, can earnings increase fast enough that that's okay? And, and boy, they're increasing fast. And don't forget, earnings are nominal. So higher inflation, all things being equal, will mean higher earnings next year. So it's far from a far gone conclusion that you uh, that the market has to you know slump if uh, inflation goes up some. Do you think this uh, market reaction today is is an overreaction? I mean, basically, it was a give back from yesterday. So is this? A, I, I, I mean, do how think do you it's interpret an overreaction. it? Uh-huh. I do, and and the reason is, look, um, Omicron could be as bad as Delta, but remember, because of Delta, I think the Fed kept rates lower longer, uh, held off on the taper. And if Omicron really comes out to be something, you know, as bad as Delta, the Fed is not going to start raising rates. They're not going to keep talking about how quickly they're going to do the taper. Their first enemy is defeating a now mutating pandemic. Inflation is a regrettable side effect of doing that, but it's one they're willing, have been willing for the last 20 months to take. And if Omicron continues to raise its ugly head, I think they'll, they'll continue to go that path. So inflation will trump, basically, uh, the concerns about a variant because inflation is such a big problem. They're, they're going to have to go forward. The, that message to the markets, though, is a hard one to swallow, Chris, well, obviously. I mean, if you're thinking yeah, no, that Melissa, wage pressures, cost that. pressures are going to continue to go right. higher and may, maybe even be exacerbated by Omicron, that, that's not a pretty picture when it comes to earnings. We've already seen no, a glimpse of that you, when, in the last sure, quarter. Sure, when you paint it that way, it's not. But but I don't see it developing. I think this is a more dynamic situation. I think you have Powell on day three of Omicron. If Omicron really spins into something bad in day 14 or day 21, and when he's back in front of Congress, he's not going to be saying, you know, we're going to defeat inflation at all costs. He's going to say, we're worried about a continuation of the pandemic. The language will change if Omicron really becomes a problem. I, I, I feel very confident that Jerome Powell's first target is defeating the pandemic. And secondly, only secondly, is it inflation. Do you rethink parts of your portfolio, Chris, in light of what the Fed chair said today, or, or at least on the expectation that rates will 
uh, move higher maybe sooner than we thought. We originally had you on to talk specifically about the payment stocks, and a lot of them are high multiple sure. names. And so I'm wondering sure. if those names do okay in this rising rate environment. No, no. I, 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 our, our default has been that rates will be higher next year, and so will inflation. And as David put it, we've been putting money in the jar every time somebody says transitory, because we don't think it's transitory. Mm -hmm. But I would reiterate, this is not a disaster. Inflation is not a bug, but a feature of a strongly growing economy, as long as it doesn't get out of control. So we think corporate earnings will be strong next year. So therefore, uh, our portfolio is set for what Jerome Powell is thinking about. What it's not set for is another kind of shutdown if Omicron really gets bad. I think that would be the much worse than than the, than the relatively powerful inflation that I think can be controlled. Let's choose our own adventure, Chris. Let's let's choose the ladder that you outlined. What if things do get worse and there are partial lockdowns or at least some restrictions on travel or mask wearing, et cetera? What sort of portfolio do you want to have? I'm assuming it's not going to be the old playbook of Zoom, Peloton, streaming, et cetera. I don't think it will be those rather more speculative names. I think it will be the stalwarts of you know, Google, Amazon, you know, a, a larger cap companies that can continue to grow. Um, and, and even when you look at the PEs of those, while they're not low by any means, they're nowhere near the, the more speculative PEs of the others. So, so I would stick, I, you know, cash wouldn't be a problem in that scenario. Having said that, I think it's unlikely. I think the world is tired of shutdown and is willing to take more health risks now to keep things open. I think better would be this will be a huge push towards vaccines and, and to uh, pushing that road along, which I think in the end would be quite helpful to the markets. Chris, great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Chris Grisanti. Well, activist Jana Partners has a new target in its sights. Let's get to Leslie Picker for a market flash. Les. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Jana Partners pushing for Zendesk to abandon its acquisition of Momentiv. That's according to a source I spoke with recently. Shares of Zendesk trading higher on this news that was first reported by The Wall Street Journal, while Momentiv, the parent company of SurveyMonkey, falling by about equal measure, although it's come back a little bit, down about 2.7% right now. Now, I'm told that the activism shop sent a letter to Zendesk where it owns a stake. I have not been able to confirm the size of the stake, but I'm told there are other large shareholders that agree that this deal should not happen. Zendesk agreed to acquire Momentum in an all-stock deal late last month, valued around $4 billion at the time, although that valuation, since it's an all-stock deal, it's less now since Zendesk has actually fallen about 20% since that deal was announced at the end of October. But the JANA letter says it lacks, quote, financial merit, that deal, and may prevent a potentially interested buyer for Zendesk as a whole. Now, a vote is slated for the deal uh, in February. We have called Zendesk and Momentive. We have not heard back yet from either of them on news of this letter. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you, Leslie Picker. So ahead, we've got much more on this market sell-off, including why Apple is a bright spot in the big tech space today. And as we head to break, here's a look at how the Dow, at the Dow heat map, take a look uh, at what is two components are leading, Apple and Nike. Stay tuned. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the exchange markets right now, still deeply in the red, but uh, off the worst of the session. We got the Dow down by about 1.7 points. S&P 500 uh, just 12 points above its session lows. It is down by 1.7 percent right now. Nasdaq Composite down by one and three quarters percent. Taking a look at some of the movers this hour, big cap tech getting hit today with Meta, one of the biggest laggards, down more than three percent today and now 15 percent off its recent high. Chip makers, high valuation stocks also re- retreating from their record highs. Marvell, Synopsys, NVIDIA, AMD among the biggest underperformers in the group. AMD actually hit an all-time high this morning before reversing course here. And restaurants, they're in the red. Casual dining names like Darden, Brinker, underperforming the QSRs like Shake Shack, Chipotle, and McDonald's. And the ARK Innovation ETF, ARK-K, that's moving lower, no surprise. Now down 14% in November, tracking for its worst month since March of 2020. Zillow, Teladoc, DraftKings, Roku, Robinhood. There's some of the names weighing this one down. We'll hear directly from ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood tomorrow when she joins Sarah Eisen for CNBC.com Pro Talk. That is tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern time. For more information and to sign up, you can head on over to CNBC.com pro. Now let's get to Rahel Solomon for CNBC News Update. Rahel. Hi, Melissa, and here's what's happening at this hour. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has agreed to be deposed by the congressional panel investigating the January 6th attacks on Capitol Hill. However, a lawyer for Meadows says that his client still believes executive privilege prevents him from having to answer some questions. The panel had threatened a contempt of Congress vote to force Meadows to testify. Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae will soon back mortgages of nearly $1 million. They are raising loan limits by 18% next year, which means that home buyers in high-cost markets can get federal backing for loans of up to $970,000. For most of the country, the limit will go up to nearly $650,000. The World Health Organization is warning countries against blanket travel bans related to the Omicron variant. It says that the bans will not stop international spread and also place heavy burdens on the targeted countries. The Senate Commerce Committee has invited the CEOs of seven major airlines to testify at a hearing on December 8th. The chair of the committee wants them to explain why the airlines have worker shortages despite receiving billions of dollars in pandemic aid. And on the news tonight, holiday shopping deals on the dark net. How hackers are using mainstream marketing to sell illicit goods. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. You're now up to date. Melissa, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you. Coming up, consumer confidence hitting the lowest level since February. And high inflation doesn't appear to be going away. Are we looking at a perfect storm for the consumer? That's next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Retail stocks getting hit in today's sell-off as consumer confidence sinks to a nine-month low. And Jay Powell warns about inflation. Let's get to Dom Chu for a check on the big movers. Dom. All right. So, Melissa, it's a wide range of names that we are watching, including mall-based retailers like Macy's, also Kohl's as well, both of whom are down about 10 percent or more from just over the past week. They're down 5 percent in today's session. TJ Maxx, the parent company of Home Goods, and TJ Maxx overall, TJX, is lower, slipping 10 percent off its highs that we notched just two weeks ago, and we're going to end on Target and Walmart. You can see they're both in negative territory today, tracking for monthly declines. Keep an eye on that retail sector. I'll send things back over to you, Melissa. All right. Thanks so much, Tom. Data from the Consumer Board shows that 29% of consumers said business conditions are bad. That's a slight increase from last month's number. This was out right before Jay Powell said inflation could be stickier than expected in his testimony. Here's what the Fed chair said. Most forecasters, including at the Fed, continue to expect that inflation will move down significantly over the next year as supply and demand imbalances abate. It is difficult to predict the persistence and effects of supply constraints, but it now appears that factors pushing inflation upward will linger well into next year. Joining us now is Steve Odlin, the conference board CEO and the CNBC contributor. Steve, great to see you. Nice to see you, Melissa. Thank you. I think if you had asked any consumer out there, they could have told Jay Powell themselves that the inflation was a problem and it was stickier than anybody had ever thought, especially when they're going to the gas pump, paying 50 percent more from a year ago. Um, and the list goes on and on when it comes to, to their essential items, Steve. So in terms of the numbers that we've seen for the latest month, what, what do you think this reflects? Well, uh, I think you've hit it, Melissa. You know, last month we saw consumer confidence bounce up and we were we were hopeful that, we, that this was a sign that we were going to uh, to resume the, the upward trend but unfortunately we've now trended down and the reason is because of inflation and people are telling us now that things are getting very expensive when you break it down by demographics it's the 55 plus demographic that scored the lowest or or had the lowest levels of consumer confidence as well as the lower income folks and then when you start looking at purchase intent by category what has come way down are purchases of automobiles and the intent to buy houses. So these are the things that have been really pushing uh, sales and the economy over the past few months, and this came down. Now, I have to point out that this survey was cut off before Omicron was even uh, known as a, as a possibility here. I suspect, Melissa, that if we did the Consumer Confidence Index today, you would see even lower numbers because not only do you have inflation as the worry, but you would then have the potential result in Omicron. And that's what, what you know I think is affecting these big retail stocks today that uh, are mostly land or you know bricks and mortar based. Right, right. Um, and, and I would imagine too that you know when businesses take a look at this data, Steve, they, they take a look at the state of the consumer and think at what point uh, do does confidence numbers actually spill over into spending patterns at their businesses. And the old argument used to be, well, wages are good. Household debt is down at very at historic levels, down to low levels, I should say. And so the consumer is stronger than ever. So we shouldn't be worried about inflation. 
at this point, what what is the real takeaway of this situation? Well, I, you know, if you have a lot of money, I mean, the higher income classes are fine. It's the it, but the majority of the spending comes from the center and that's getting hit right now. So I think inflation is a big worry and it looks like it's going to be not transient, but uh, it's going to be stickier uh, as as the Fed chair said. So if that happens, you know, we're, we're projecting a, an inflation rate of close to 4%, high 3% for 2021. In 2022, we had hoped that that would come down closer to 3%. But if it's stickier, it means that these prices will continue to take more and more of the uh, uh, of the income, and so therefore all the discretionary spending goes away. I don't think it's going to be a Im- big impact here for the 2021 holiday season, Melissa. It looks like all that inventory is in. It looks like you know you have opportunities here to buy online, and that's kind of what we've been seeing over the month of November. Even though uh, you know Cyber Monday and Black Friday was a little weaker than than was expected, it was down versus year ago. It, it happened earlier and it's happening uh, online. So, you know, what's going to be problematic here are the uh, bricks and mortar retailers who don't have a great online presence. And then into next year, the question is, if this keeps going, what's going to happen to GDP? Because so much of this uh, of the dollars are getting uh, inflated here. How much does the, the stock market and whether or not the stock market shows declines such as we're seeing today factor into consumer confidence? I mean, we've seen record numbers of retail investors join in the markets over the past couple of years, Steve, and, and it really enjoy the market's historic rally. Um, we've also seen a lot of households get involved in crypto and build crypto fortunes to the extent that these markets are volatile, as we've seen over the past few days. And maybe this is the first bout of real volatility that these new investors have had to deal with. How much does that weigh on confidence, you think? Well, I think it impacts it. You know, consumer confidence is more uh, driven by what's happening to me as the consumer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is my job safe? You know, is my income safe? You know, is my buying power safe? But I think that spills over into the market, as does the projection on interest rates. And so, you know, if, if we felt that the inflation was ameliorating, you know, interest rates might stay lower and therefore it would continue to fuel the boom. When inflation goes up and interest rates go up, of course, it hits the market. And I think you're seeing a combination today of uh, an estimate that maybe interest rates will have to go up higher. We're projecting two to three uh, increases next year in order to combat inflation at the same time you know, you, you are going to hit growth. And so, you know, the, the nasty word of stagflation, of course, for people who remember the 70s, uh, comes into play. Now, we don't think that that's going to happen, but and then we don't hope it's going to be happening. But then you have Omicron that comes on top of this. If it's a weak thing, if it doesn't uh, fill the hospitals, if it's not really scary, if it doesn't hit entertainment and travel, we should be okay. But if it's really virulent and it does start to hit those industries, it could put us right back where we were at the beginning of 2021. So there are some real unknowns, Melissa, in the market today as a result of the confluence of these events. All right. Steve, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much. Nice to see you, Steve Odland. Coming up, Apple, a clear winner in today's tech sell-off, and our next guest does not see that changing. She will join us with her reasons why. That's next. How 
Powell's accelerated taper timeline comments spooking investors. The Nasdaq back off its lows uh, down about one and a half percent. But some big cap tech names are holding up. Take a look at Apple. It is higher by more than two percent. One of only two stocks higher in the Nasdaq 100 today with the likes of Amazon and Alphabet moving lower in tandem with rates. So what makes Apple specifically so attractive? Joining us now is Laura Martin, senior Internet and media analyst at Needham. Laura, good to see you. I feel I feel like Apple is one of those names. It'll do well in periods of growth when economic growth is great and it'll do well in periods where things are uncertain. I mean, is that is that is it win win when it comes to owning Apple? Yeah. So three things going on today that are driving Apple's app performance. One is 90 billion of free cash flow next year and more cash than debt on their balance sheet, which means as other companies get cheaper, Apple can buy them cheaper. So they end up gaining competitive advantage. Secondly, The biggest criticism of Apple for the last five years is no new products. When you look at the product pipeline, lots of excitement there, especially in the press today about how they're going to introduce AR, uh, augmented reality glasses at the next WWDC in June, autos, you know, electric autos, self-driving cars, lots of new product innovation coming back to Apple now that they've brought silicon in-house, their chip design in-house. And then third, um, lots of really good numbers coming out of retail about how the products are selling, tablets, especially the high-end iPhones, all of which says that they're going to have high margins and high revenue for the fourth quarter of this year. Two other names in your coverage universe, Laura, Amazon and, and Google, are not doing as well as Apple. And I'm wondering if in a rising interest rate environment, if you think these two names actually don't do well on a relative basis, is that is that the truth? Is what the market is telling us the real message? So we have a confluence of the Omnicom like um, uncertainty, and that's really bad for Google because 15% of its advertising used to be travel. Mm-hmm. So if travel doesn't come back or autos don't come back, which used to be 25% of total advertising sales, it's bad for Google. Um, so that's correcting a little bit today. And then Amazon just has a lot of debt. So interest rates going up means all your debt costs are greater. All my ad-driven stuff is down today hard, it's three, four, five percent, and that's because if you have to pay more for interest expense, you t- you often cut advertising spending so that you can report growing earnings per share to Wall Street. In your coverage universe, Laura, there are some names that are, in fact, higher valuation. I'm wondering which names are, are you most concerned about? What what names are you telling clients? You know what? This kind of environment may not be the best for these stocks? Right, so I sort of think we have to learn more about the virus, but I would say um, if you have a point of view that the virus is gonna keep it all at home, you're gonna like Netflix and these streamies a little better because you're gonna get more uses, especially for ad-driven. And then if you think that we're gonna go back into the real world, then things like theme parks at Disney will do better because they still have pretty easy comps. But even aside from Omicron and and variants and the fear about lockdowns, just the fear of rising interest rates has really been a driver um, of of the markets and and certain higher valuation stocks. And so I'm wondering if there are, in fact, stocks you think are, in fact, vulnerable to higher interest rates. Yeah, definitely. Any stock that's losing money, like I have a lot of high growth stocks that lose money. That's bad for them because a lot of the value of those stocks is in the terminal value. 10, 10 years from now or five years from now. And if they have higher interest rates, guess what's happening to your discount rate? You're discounting all those cash flows for more years at a higher rate that's bad for valuations of companies that are negative free cash flow. Can you give us give us some examples? And, and I'm wondering also if you've actually changed your view um, based on what, what Powell or the Fed has, has projected when it comes to interest rates. Um, 
Right. So, um, so I think again, we're dealing with both the uncertainty of the mm-hmm. very the virus and the health stuff today. But um, so I would say, yeah, like Fubo loses money down hard today. Roku not making a lot of money down hard today. Um, so, and we have a bunch of stocks, especially small cap, where when you start getting sellers, it really moves the stock more than fundamental value would indicate. So I would say those get more hard hit in this environment. And I think there's a flight to quality with companies that you know are going to still be, they're going to weather the storm, not go bankrupt and not have financial distress. And that's why we see the fangs again outperforming today. Others, even if they're down a little, they're not down. They're down a third as much as some of the smaller cap companies. If you've got a longer term horizon, Laura, and can maybe weather this storm of, of volatility for a bit, I'm wondering if you think that there are some names that are being thrown out on fear that shouldn't be. Yeah, like Magnite, we like a lot, 100% ad driven. Um, if we don't get another hard COVID lockdown, really like them for the re- re- rebound in auto advertising and advertising generally. So would like that, like that one and some of the other ad tech names that are 100% ad driven. Okay, Laura, thanks so much for joining us today. Laura Martin of Needham. Up next, when industry is on pace for its worst month since the start of the pandemic, we will reveal what it is next. Welcome back. As more cases of the Omicron variant are identified, cruise stocks are getting crushed. Seema Modi has been tracking this action. Joins us now. Seema. And Melissa, travel executives that I've been talking to say they're really leaning on the scientists for more clarity on how transmissible this variant is. But the timing of this Omicron news coinciding with Black Friday weekend was unfortunate. An analyst telling me a large travel agency suggesting that cruise bookings over Cyber Weekend were weak. Now, of the three cruise lines, Norwegian is down the most. It was down about 5 uh, to 6 percent. It was scheduled to deploy one of its ships, Jade, from Cape Town in late December, but the cruise line uh, telling CNBC, quote, we anticipate eliminating all South African ports of call. That, of course, due to the variant. Now, as to how this broader travel recovery story will be affected, Kayak CEO Steve Hafner uh, sharing that they saw a moderate decline in travel searches when Delta was at the height of the news cycle in early July. But by early September, demand started to climb up again and most recently levels nearing 2019, which he says shows just how travelers are getting more comfortable navigating changing restrictions. Melissa. And yet last night, Kayak, uh, Asima, had indicated that their searches on Sunday were slightly lower from a week ago. So I'm wondering at what point do we start getting a real read on what the impact psychologically is on consumers? Yeah, that's exactly right, Melissa. So every Thursday, we get the numbers from SDR on weekly hotel occupancy. So this week will give us a very accurate read on just how consumers and travelers are starting to react to this news around the variant. You're right. We are less than four weeks away till Christmas, where Christmas, where there are a number of families that still haven't taken that vacation. So we have to try to understand if that family that was looking to have their first trip and, and reunite with family are now canceling that trip because of news around the Omicron. Um, we just have to wait and see. But every Thursday, that's when we'll get that hotel occupancy data, which will be key to understanding this travel recovery story. Theoretically, this might be a boost for for Airbnb and the owner of VRBO, right? You know, you would think that, Melissa, but just looking at the performance of the travel uh, stocks, Airbnb is actually down more today than a stock like Marriott. So uh, really interesting to see how some of those stay-at-home travel names don't seem to be working today. Um, of course, this month, Airbnb has had a strong month uh, for November compared to some of the other travel names. We'll have to see if that holds out. All right. Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. 
coming up. Are there any sectors out there that are oversold? We'll check the charts and read the tea leaves. And oil took a leg lower in Powell's accelerated taper comments. Crude now down by about 7%. The big players also falling with Exxon the laggard down more than 2%. And Bitcoin bouncing back a bit. It had fallen more than 2%, now down just fractionally. The exchange will be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's talk technicals with stocks seeing so much volatility in just the past three days. What are the charts telling us could be next? Are there areas that look oversold? Katie Stockton is founder and managing partner at Fair Lead Strategies. Katie, great to have you with us. Have we seen damage done to the S&P 500, do you think? Well, there has been a distinct loss of momentum, but it's really still only short term in nature. And no breakdowns have developed among the major indices. Even the Russell 2000 index is holding up okay, despite having underperformed throughout the pullback. For the S&P 500, we're watching support right around 45, 46. And that's based on its most recent breakout point. So essentially a former peak on the chart. And there's also that 50-day moving average rising to meet that level. So it still does have some support nearby. I mean, intraday, Katie, we're well off of the session lows right now. And I'm wondering if you take a look at that intraday action and think, you know what, this this proves um, my theory or your theory in this case uh, that the S&P 500 does have support. And this is just a minor setback within a, a longer term uptrend channel. There is support. And also, we have the first short-term oversold reading since October 4th for the S&P 500. And that's meaningful. It will be more meaningful when we do see some kind of stabilization. I think it's too early to suggest that we have it already. But to the extent that we do see a strong close relative to the day's high-low range, that's always an incremental positive. And of course, the market internal measures, things like um, market breadth or participation, market sentiment, as measured by things like the VIX, those are all getting pretty oversold on their own. So that suggests that perhaps that sentiment has shifted enough to get us a short-term low ahead of what is typically a positive seasonal time of the year. I want to talk about volatility. We did see it spike today. It's up 17% at this point, though, again, off of the highs that we've seen in the session. Are you seeing that also in an uptrend um, going forward? I mean, I would imagine that at some point, no, because you're seeing the S&P 500 has support and, and is going higher. We have been in this low volatility cycle really for several months based on the VIX, which we use as a transactional gauge of market sentiment. We indeed have seen a VIX spike over the last couple of days. And that, of course, is associated with a pullback in the S&P 500. They're negatively correlated. What we don't want to see from the VIX is a breakout above the top of its range, which is roughly 29 on the chart. It's also a resistance level per our work. And that would then suggest that we're getting into a higher volatility regime, something that would be somewhat reminiscent of 2018. If you recall, overall, it was sort of a neutral year, but it had a lot more volatility from an intermediate term perspective. I want to get to small caps, Katie, because a lot of people were all excited with the recent run up. Um, Basically, at this point, we've given up the gains that we made, uh, you know, for the entire fall when people started getting really bullish on it. What are you seeing here for small caps? Is it over? 
Uh, you know, it's too early to say that too, but we do have today a DeMarc signal. If you know the DeMarc indicators, it's the first buy signal that we've had in this pullback mode. And that's kind of interesting to us for the Russell 2000 index as it comes into support from September. It's also right around some support based on some other measures that we use. So it does have a good chance of holding up here based on that. We'd of course like to see that stabilization for more confidence that the short-term low is put in place. But interesting if you look at IWM as representative of the Russell 2000 versus the Spiders or SPY, there are signs of downside exhaustion there too, based on the DeMarc indicators. And there was a very timely sell signal based on the same model back in March. So we find that really compelling, especially at a time when you tend to get some small cap hour performance associated with tax loss selling or the so-called January effect. Of course, outperformance doesn't always mean that you're getting the or relative performance doesn't mean you're getting those absolute gains at all times, but it does suggest that we'll get at least a rebound in here. All right. And, and I do want to ask you about banks as well. A, a bad day Friday, a relatively bad day yesterday, considering the market bounce overall, financials really underperformed. And again, bad today, Katie. So what does the chart look like? We're not seeing a lot of breakdowns in the financial sector as of yet, at least not confirmed ones. We always like to see more than a day or two below a certain level, and that would then confirm. So that's what we're kind of watching and waiting for. 10-year Treasury yields, of course, are going to be something to watch there as well. We highlighted in a morning note that they're below some minor support, around 1.46%. And if we do see consecutive closes below that level, that would increase downside to about 1.35%. And of course, that would have an impact negatively on some of those financials, especially the banks. All right, Katie, great to speak with you. Thank you. You too. Katie Stockton of Fairlead Strategies. That does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.